Well, we're going to continue our series on Beloved, the look of new life in Christ. And if uh, you can turn there in your Bibles, 1 John chapter 3, it's right near the end of the book. But if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. Somebody from the back will bring you one. We've got some that we could hand out and uh, make sure that everybody has God's Word. And uh, we want you having your own and reading it and listening to God's voice uh, as He speaks to you. So here's what He said. This is, we're kind of right in the middle of our series, right in the middle of the book of uh, 1 John. Chapter 3, there's five chapters, and here's what he said, starting verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, when the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever... Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth." By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he's commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandment abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he's given us. The question we're looking at today is what do fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ do? Well, number one, of course, fully devoted followers believe in the name of God's son, Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what gets you into his family. That's what starts the relationship. And the second thing, and John is emphasizing this today, fully devoted followers of Jesus love one another. They love one another. In verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. I had somebody after the first service come and say, is he talking about <clears throat> like our brothers and sisters in Christ? Or is he talking about my real brothers? Because I have a problem with them. And... Um, <laughs> I said, well, I think it could be both, but I think primarily he's talking about people in the family of faith, other people who are fully devoted uh, followers of Jesus Christ and uh, how, how we live that out and how we love one another. I mean, one of the passions that's close to God's heart is togetherness, life together, living life together, togetherness. I mean, back at the beginning, shortly after the idea phase, you find it in Genesis 1 and 2. At the very beginning of the Bible, God creates this world because he said, I'm lonely. I want to have a relationship with somebody. I should create people, and then they can, I'll give them free choice. They can choose to be in a friendship with me or not. I hope that they do. So he created a man, and he said, that's good. And then he looked at him and said, it's not good that this man should be alone. I'll make a helper for him. And uh, so he gave uh, a woman to the man, and uh, they had uh, togetherness. And that was God's idea, friendship, closeness, encouragement, support, teammates, doing life together. Those are all God's idea. So I know there's things uh, that people of faith have to do all alone, 
I mean, you have to get right with God all alone. I can't ask God for forgiveness for your heart. You can't get my heart right with God. You have to do that by yourself. And you leave this world all alone and you step into eternity to meet your maker all alone to give an account for your life. But between those two events, there's also times where you might have to uh, stand alone to be called on to stand all alone. Daniel stood alone in the lion's den for his faith. Queen Esther, in a hostile environment, stood alone before the king, uninvited, with her life on the line on behalf of the people of God. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked his followers to pray with him, but they all fell asleep, and he was praying all alone. And then on the cross, he did have family and friends at the foot of the cross, but at the moment God turned his back on Jesus because the sin of the world was placed on him, it broke Jesus' heart, and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The big events on the standalone list have to do with your relationship with God, the vertical relationship that we have with God. A lot of what John is talking about today is because of this vertical relationship, we have these horizontal relationships. A lot of the togetherness times are all those celebrating the horizontal between believers. Now, I always thought this was just for our benefit, but I, I'm convinced that this is also important to God in ways you might not have thought of. You see, sometimes we're all alone, but most times it's God's intention that we're in partnership with other people, that we're blessed to have other people around us for support and encouragement and wise input and good suggestions. And if you look through the Bible, an awful lot of people that God called and sent into situations, he brought along somebody to be a support and encouragement and a friend to them. And there are lots of friendships in the Bible. God has given us each other as a gift. So 1 John 3.11 says, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, togetherness was modeled in the ministry of Christ. I mean, Jesus, when he started his ministry, he went through the temptations and testing in the desert alone, but then he came out as he began his ministry, and he wouldn't have had to, but he began to recruit people to be on his team. He found some fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. He said, come follow me, and I'll show you how to be a fisher of men. And he recruited their friends, Philip and Nathaniel. And then he kind of went out of the box and recruited Matthew, the tax collector, and uh, uh, Thomas, who's uh, called the doubter, which uh, I'm not sure about him. And, and then four more, James, the son of Alphaeus, and, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and then Judas Iscariot, who's famous for betraying Jesus. So the number continued to grow beyond those 12. I mean, at one point, there were 72 disciples that Jesus sent out, of course, two by two. So they would have a togetherness. And uh, that's recorded in Luke 10. But, you know, they were wearing white shirts and black ties and rode bicycles and, and went to... Okay, maybe they didn't ride bicycles, but they went to all of the different towns preaching the good news of the gospel and telling people about Jesus and saying the kingdom of heaven is near. And... Um, uh, you know, here there were 72, and most people can't maintain 72 quality friendships. Hal and Mary or can, but anybody else, you know, has a real struggle saying, okay, how do I, how do I even know that many names? And, and it, it's a certain a gift to say, I'm going to grow people into friendships. I'm, I'm going to be intentional about that. Well, at some point, Jesus said, I, I can't manage 72. I'm going to just have 12. And he designated the 12 that we read, uh, their names. But then even among those, he had three that he chose, Peter, James, and John, who were the closest to him that uh, in big significant events, like when he raised a little girl, Talitha, from the dead, they were the only ones in the room. When he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and he was radiant before them and uh, Moses and Elijah uh, showed up um, 
Uh, they were the only three disciples that were there. When he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he had all the disciples there, but then he took those three with him to the, the spot where he was actually going to pray and asked them to watch and pray. And uh, even though among the disciples, besides those three, there was one who was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. It was probably John. He's the one who tells it in his book five different times. There's a disciple that Jesus loved. There's a disciple that Jesus loved. And do you know, John was convinced that John was Jesus' favorite. I'm convinced I'm Jesus' favorite. Aren't, 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 you can be too, right? Because you could be the disciple that Jesus loved. And, and to have that, that, that sense of uh, Jesus, we have a very special relationship going. And it's a gift that God gives us. And... Uh, so Jesus didn't just talk about this or he didn't just lead by example, but he commanded them, love one another. Um, he was always talking to them, don't be like the world, don't be self-promoting, be the servant, be humble, um, put others first. But the quintessential moment uh, was the time that they gathered what was ended up we call the Last Supper because it was the last meal that they shared together, though they probably didn't know it at the time. And they arrived there with an argument half finished behind Jesus' back of, well, who's the most important? And uh, they've been uh, talking with each other, you know, I'm pretty important because of this, or, well, I, you know, I'm significant in this way, and so I'm better than you because... And they're thinking that Jesus isn't going to notice this. And into the middle of this mess, Jesus speaks these words from John 13, 34, and 35. He said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. And uh, he's giving clear direction for how life is to be lived as a believer together. He's, you notice Jesus did not say you can love them if they're easy to love or you can love them if they're influential or love them if they're pretty or love them if they're nice or love them if you like them or love them if they sing the right kind of songs or love them if they believe the right kind of stuff or none of that. He said, love one another. People know you're my disciples if you love one another. He's giving commands to his disciples, to the ones who have fully devoted themselves to following Jesus. Love one another. Well, shortly after this, Jesus goes out to die for the sin of the world, and the disciples scatter. Judas feels so much remorse for betraying Jesus that he takes his own life. And Peter, you know, swore his full head off for saying he never knew Jesus and suddenly hears what his mouth is saying and he runs to hide and he weeps bitterly. And the rest of them scatter for fear of their lives, except for John, who's at the foot of the cross with Jesus' mother and her friends, huddled there to support Jesus and to grieve and to watch him die. And to care for Jesus, whose body was broken for you and for me, whose blood was poured out as a gift, as a very expensive cleanser for an impossible stain, the stain of your sin and mine. Thank you, Jesus, for suffering on our behalf and dying all alone so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be together. And may we live by following your example and obeying your teaching. Well, Jesus left the earth and he promised his spirit to his people and 120 Jesus lovers gathered and prayed and waited. And on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people became believers. 
And then 5,000 more shortly after that. And if you don't have time to manage 72 close personal friends, you don't have a chance with 3,000 or 5,000 or 8,000. And, and so besides gathering, I mean, together, he's saying to the believers, be together, love one another. How are you going to do that? We gather first in large group like we are right here. And there's a lot of things you can do in large group, <clears throat> but there's some things you can only do in a small group, in a, in a, in a, in a group of, of people where you know everybody's name. And you walk the Jesus way together. Togetherness was modeled in the early church. In fact, here's how it shows up in Acts chapter 2. It says, those who received the word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is what we do. Because the apostles said, here's what Jesus said. And so we read God's word. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship with other people and to the breaking of bread, like communion, as we're going to share today, and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done among the apostles. And all who believed were together and had everything in common. In other words, they were practicing generosity. What do you need? Here, let me help you. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple courts together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, God is honored when we gather in a large group like this and we worship and we, we sing and, uh, and we have the choir lift us and, and do some of the singing for us. Didn't they, don't they do a great job? Right? By the way. And... Uh, we can gather around God's Word for a teaching and uh, then share together in communion uh, and times of prayer. All those can be done in large group, uh, and it's powerful, and it can touch your heart and touch your soul, but it's not enough because you could come in and you can hide in a crowd this side and you can have a minimum participation. You can uh, you know, uh, sneak in and sneak out if that's your choice. And, and it doesn't really cost you anything, and it doesn't really fulfill what Jesus is saying to love one another. I mean, you can walk out of here without knowing anybody else's name or even having greeted anyone. And if you're going to love one another, we have to get to know each other. So to reach out and to extend a hand and to try, it can start here. But even in the early church, to truly love one another, they met in homes. So they had small groups or growth groups or caring groups or discussion groups or widows groups or teenage groups or young family groups uh, clustering uh, together to share God's word together, to praise and to care for one another. Jesus said, love one another. And fully devoted followers of Jesus take him seriously. And it shows up all over the New Testament. Paul said in different places, love one another, build each other up, care for one another, serve one another, carry each other's burdens, endure one another, be kind to one another, submit to one another, encourage one another, do good to one another, and lots more. And the writers of Hebrews and James and Peter all wrote the same theme. Stir one another up to love and good deeds. Confess to one another. Pray for one another. Show hospitality to one another. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Togetherness is encouraged all through Scripture to live the Jesus way together. Now, I think all the disciples heard Jesus that night, but the one who took it most to heart was John. At the foot of the cross, even Jesus gave Mary into his care. He took her into his home that day, into his family, under his wing. Eventually, he even helped her get out of the country to escape persecution. They ended up in Ephesus. John heard Jesus' command and took it seriously. 
See, in chapter 3, he said, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. Jesus is our example and our leader, and he lavished his love on us, and he commanded us to do the same. And John is reminding us of that. You're not just a Jesus fan. You're not just a Jesus observer. You're not just a Jesus wallflower. Be a fully devoted follower and do what Jesus tells us to do. And in verse 11, he says, this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. <laughs> and then John gets so practical. He said, verse 16, we know love, that he laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And why do we struggle with living life together? Maybe because we let ourselves get too busy with other stuff. Or we let the electronic world sap our time and our caring and our interpersonal skills for talking with one another. Or we get focused on our own self and our own agenda and our own thing, and we forget that a fully devoted follower follows. Jesus laid down his life for you. And he's saying from that we need to care for one another and practice generosity and support and encouraging one another. And uh, we've got excuses. You know, I'm a private person or I'm shy or he's too loud or she's so obnoxious. Or, and on and on we go, coming up with excuses. So how does living life together honor God? When God gives us a command, which he didn't just say this was a good idea to love one another. He says it's a command. And then he sees us doing what he commanded us to do, even if it's not our first choice. He's honored and he's pleased. And we are blessed. You know, one of our small groups here were together early this year, and some younger people, and the question was asked, will you tell us your story? How did you find your way to Christ? How did you find your way to South Shores? And they looked at this one young guy, and he goes, well, I guess I'll tell you. They said, really? Now, this was a first for me. He said, the reason I first came to South Shores Church was because I was ordered by the court. <laughs> so I showed up for church. And everybody was so nice that I started to listen, and Jesus got a hold of my heart, and I gave up on drugs and alcohol, and I started to get my life right, and you guys have just been, you don't even know what a blessing you've been in my life. Well, when people heard that, the rest of them said, well, I guess I could tell my story, and mine's vanilla compared to that, you know what I'm saying? And they began to share, here's what Jesus has done for me. This year, we had 43 growth groups. We started 17 of them last summer. I mean, that's excellent. My goal, though, is, and our goal is 100% of us would be in some kind of group. Now, let me ask you, you know, just to be kind of fun. If you were in a small group or a growth group or a support group or the marine ministry or you made friends or you're part of gals or not to love or, um, you know, the um, naughty ladies or, or, or a men's uh, thing, would you just stand up right now? Just, you know, you know what I'm saying? I have a other connection to South Shores other than worship. Would you just stand up? Let's see. So now I think that's awesome. So if you're sitting down, just look around and pick out somebody you like and say, okay, I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to... What, what do you go to? Okay, thank you. You may be seated. If you're standing up, you know, you can invite somebody new to come... Come to your group. I mean, we started 17 new ones last summer, but we need to start some new groups this summer. And to do that, you need a place to meet and you need a leader or two leaders so that they're working together. And, uh, you know, we'll give training and uh, uh, places where people can gather and tell their stories. So if you say, well, I'm happy in my group. I'm going to just stay there. I've been there for years. Well, isn't it time you step out and to say, let me provide the same blessing to somebody new we need people to step forward this summer and to say, I'll help lead a group. 
I can do that. We can, we've got notes. We can just follow the notes. If we don't like it, we can go to the next question. If something gets too hard, we can say we don't know, and we'll ask somebody and come back next week. We'll read Scripture and pray. Our group found that hot dogs and ice cream add a lot to the conversation. And, you know, and, and in the process, God's Spirit moves in among His people, and He does life change in people's hearts. So I'm asking you, if, if you've been in a growth group for more than three years, well, then help me start a new one this summer and uh, to get ready for the fall. The third thing we see here from John is we abide in Jesus through the power of God's Spirit. Verse 23 says, This is His command, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He's commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandment abides in God and God in Him, and by this we know He abides in us by the Spirit whom He's given. We're concluding our church year, so we have our annual meeting today, and God has blessed us immensely. And you've been part of it. I mean, we'll talk about this year. It's the year that everybody moved off the campus in Dana Point down here, and we're in the middle of this huge project, and we're in a committed position because everything that's going to be torn down has been torn down, and there's, there's a bunch of dirt there, and they're actually digging down now, putting in the foundation, and spending millions of dollars to stabilize the hill, and then they're going to bury all that, and we won't see it, but we'll know that it's there. And, you know, the story isn't done because we're right in the middle, and people are watching. This last Monday was Memorial Day, and so I was down at uh, Pines Park for uh, the Veterans Memorial. So I'm there in uniform, and I, uh, there's a row of where the, the speakers sit, and then every, they're looking away from the ocean. Everybody else is looking toward the ocean. And so I, I go sit down. The first person I sit next to is Russ Chilton, who's the chief of police for Dana Point. And he says, hey, I want to talk to you. Unfortunately, there's no right, red light flashing, and so I, I, I didn't have quite the same stress that I've had other times. But... Um, he said, you know, I want to get the pastors in Dana Point together and talk to them and tell them what's happening in what we're finding in law enforcement in Dana Point because it's, it's serious and it's bad. And there's bad things that are happening that we would like your support. I said, let's do that. I said, we could host it. And then I realized, oh, well, we meet in San Juan. Maybe he won't want to come this far. We could meet on our other campus. It's a construction zone, but that's all I got to offer you, one or the other. And then a lady came and sat on the next side of me. And I confess, I didn't know who she was right off. And I, I should have, I suppose. And she said she was going to speak. And so I'm thinking, who is it? Who is it? Who is it? I've never seen her here before. And um, so anyway, she and I get whispering. And people keep coming up and shaking my hands from all over. And she's looking at me. And finally, I said, well, I'm a pastor at South Shores. And I didn't tell her that everybody had come and shook my hand had been part of the church. She just thinks it's this huge crowd, you know, coming up. And, and then <clears throat> she gets up and talks. And then I figure out, oh, that's the mayor. <laughs> I should know our mayor. <laughs> so she sits down. And about that time, they say, we would like, uh, they start naming World War II vets by name and having them stand up and be applauded. Now, there were a 1,000 people there, okay? Three times as many as we have right here. A 1,000 people. And then they go, is there any World War II vet or a Korean vet that we have not named? Stand up. And so Howard, who's here on the front, stood up. And uh, you can stand up right now if you want to, and they can take a moment to recognize, okay? <laughs> okay. So... So Howard stood up, and the, the guy behind the mic is looking at him, but he doesn't know him. And so I'm about 10 feet behind him, so I go, his name is Howard Severance. He didn't hear me. I go, his name is Howard Severance. He didn't hear me. He goes, his name is Howard Severance. So they sent somebody to the mic over to ask him. Howard says, my name's Howard Severance. And the mayor goes, well, you tried to tell them, but they wouldn't listen. And I said, I bet that happens to mayors too, doesn't it? She goes, all the time. And then she said, I have been watching your project from my house. 
I said, well, would you like a tour? And she said, yes. Well, it won't hurt to give the mayor a tour of our project and to see, but, you know, we're, we're at a spot in the project that if we quit now, it would be an embarrassment to our God, and they would be talking behind our back in our community because we're half done. You see what I'm saying? It's, we're in a committed position. Now is not the time to get discouraged. Now is not the time to get tired. Now is the time to say we need to be about what God is calling us to be and to do this year and to, to see things flourish in this next year as we move forward, as we kind of wait for the other campus to say the campus we have is a great place to serve God and he's going to keep using it and he's going to use us because we're his people. Because a church isn't just a building. A church is people. And we are so blessed. We are a multi-generational family. And the church of Jesus Christ is people just like us. And he says, he's commanding us, love one another. Well, you got to start by knowing people's names and caring about them and reaching out. So go out of your way to share yourself and initiate a new friendship with somebody who's not like you. And do what Jesus commanded, to love one another. You know, you can't do it if you don't know people. So you got to take the opportunity to say, refresh me, remind me of your name. So this is going to be a great year. We're going to see God do a lot of things. And it will be a year of waiting and watching and preparing. And, and I hope that we're reaching out in the name of Jesus right here where we find ourselves and in practical ways to love each other and to love the community around us. Do you know one of the closest little communities around us is the school that meets here five days a week. They're having graduation this week. And um, then they're going to start into a couple big projects, one on the ball field, which will mean everybody who parks on the, uh, the, uh, the tarmac on the basketball court won't be able to park there. Who here rides to, uh, uh, re responded to the request of finding somebody to carpool with? Anybody? Okay. I want to say it once again. Find somebody to carpool with. Make at least one friend here at church and ride together and leave some of the cars somewhere else because 40 cars that we've been parking on that ball field won't be able to park there starting next week or the next, in two weeks, okay? So we need to find, make friends in the next couple weeks. And then while they're doing the ball field, they're also going to be putting a new floor in the gymnasium. It will be so great. But what it means is for Father's Day, we won't go in there. Okay, you go, oh, wait a minute, my favorite bathroom is in there. Um, there. There will be access to those from the outside. So we're gonna flex with our closest neighbors and uh, to keep reaching out to them, but beyond that, into the community of San Juan and around us, sharing the love of Christ because we wanna be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. It has to be more than just a good idea. We have to practice life together. In fact, we're gonna do what else Jesus said that night when he was at the, the, the dinner with his disciples. He said, this is my body, and he took the bread, and it's broken for you. This is my blood, and he took the cup. He said, it's been poured out to cover your sin. All of you eat of this. All of you drink of it. And so we're headed to the table of our Lord to obey him and to honor him and to thank him because he is king of kings and Lord of lords. Let's pause and pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for your willingness to come into this world, to set heaven aside. Thank you that you were willing to suffer and to die on our behalf, to be broken so that we might be made whole, to have your blood poured out so that our sin could be covered. Now, even as we enter into this time together, I pray that you will speak to our hearts, 
that you will convict us where we are uh, coming up short of the mark and uh, perhaps even choosing to sin where we know a better way. Give us that power by your Spirit to live as sons and daughters of God, as fully devoted followers to Jesus, and to follow you. And help us in this area of loving one another to see relationships begin and grow and grow stronger and support one another as we do the work of Christ in this place. Thank you for Jesus. We love you. Amen.